The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Today marks the start of season two of the Looking Up podcast. As times continue to be even more trying these days, these months, this year, I want to share something that I've been saying out loud that has been helping me. I am what I have overcome and continue to overcome. So much of what we've been talking about is advocacy and activism, amplifying the voices that truly need to be heard. And right now, more so than ever, while we are inundated and have limited time, resources, and energy, I have seen a trend naturally making its way. One that's all about editing life. There will be more about this throughout this next season. Editing out the things that are not serving us and making way for the things and people that bring us life, light, and growth. Our energy is our most valuable currency. Editing all things we give our energy to, including who we follow on social media and the voices which we give importance to, is just as important as all of the things that we consume daily. One voice who I plan on editing way more into my life is that of Sophia Bush. Sophia Bush is an actress. You may most remember her as Brooke Davis on the nine seasons of One Tree Hill or as Erin Lindsay on Chicago PD. She was also in movies like John Tucker Must Die and The Voice of Void in The Incredibles 2. She's even more so notably known for her philanthropy work and political and social activism. She recently interviewed the Clintons and they urged her to run for office. Truth be told, my own assistant Whitney would very much like to see Sophia as her president. In 2018, she won the Nelson Mandela Changemaker Award. You all know how much I love the brain. And because of Sophia's curiosity, dedication to learning, and well, drop-dead gorgeous intelligence, I pretty much told her I have a brain crush on her. I really wanted to focus on advocacy in this episode, and not just about the extremely important issues Sophia so strongly supports, but even more so about her life as an activist, how she finds the energy, the courage, and the agency, especially when gutted, disappointed, and disgusted by the way some things currently are. She gets raw with us, sharing transparently just how exhausted she is and how although she's an advocate for so many, she often finds it hard to advocate for herself. Before we jump in to sort of the core of what this podcast is all about, I like to ask my guests a series of rapid fire style questions that are just a way to get to know you a little bit more intimately And so without thought or judgment, just the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Sophia, has there been a book that you have read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? Very much so. Many, but I would say most recently, two books really. I went back after George Floyd was murdered and I reread Patrice Culler's memoir, When They Call You a Terrorist. And then I sat down to read Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. They have absolutely propelled me on this continued exploration and, and interrogation of both myself and society. And I think that when we care about things and give ourselves license to 
learn always, to never assume that we know everything, to never assume that we're done discovering. It's really quite powerful. And so for me, you know, despite having worked in a lot of these spaces for a long time, I still feel like I'm, I'm always learning. And revisiting Patrice's book was incredibly powerful. And, and Kendi's book is really powerful as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. People think I'm blank, but actually I'm blank. I am told by people that I come off as both being a very confident person and like I've always got it together, <laughs> which is hilarious to me because, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to say to online trolls, I'm like, listen, nobody's meaner to me than me. So good luck. <laughs> and it is really interesting when, when people see you in a way that feels like a part of who you are. Yeah. You know, I think that because I have deep conviction about justice and society that can make me seem, you know, like I can't be rattled, but I'm rattled every day. I used to joke with my, maybe this is because, you know, my mom's family is Italian. Like when you think about when bread begins, when it goes past being a day old, you know, once it gets past a day old, it doesn't have preservatives in it. The, the exterior gets hard, but the inside stays squishy. Like that's me. Mm-hmm. I know how to sort of armor up and show up in the world and work in the world, but I, I am really unbelievably and at times unbearably tender. Yes. And everyone's like, God, it's crazy. You're just always, you're good. I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm projecting, but okay. When's the last time you cried? Was it Friday? Yeah, it was Friday night. Oof. That was the evening. It was announced that Chadwick Boseman had passed away. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to work with him on a film I just, even in the short time that I had with him, was so just bowled over by by the human being that he was. Just like ugly cried for the loss of this person who was such a kind, a kind friend to me who didn't have to be for the, the man that he was to so many people who I love for the man that he was for the world and for children and for representation yes. and as an activist and a community leader and a lover of his community. And I, I, I thought about my pain being proximal and how, how much more intense it feels for so many people, you know, to, to lose the man who quite literally changed representation. It, it just felt like such a devastating blow. And, and so I started crying because our friend died and then I, I just kept sobbing because the world feels like it's coming apart. And yeah. Yeah. I saw that clip of when he was on Jimmy Fallon and it just, for all the reasons you're saying it, I, I knew to a small degree, the impact he had on so many people, but especially the black community. And you know, just what he meant. Yeah. That crumbled me. (sighs) Next question. Three words to describe yourself as a teenager in the high school years. Oh man, as a teenager, curious, (laughs) impressionable, and sensitive. Are those words that you describe yourself 
currently as well? I would replace impressionable. I'm still incredibly curious, still incredibly sensitive, which I, which I now understand, you know, having had time to do work on myself, I understand that to be rooted in empathy. Mm. So I, I think I would say that I, I was impressionable as a kid and I'm very investigative mm. as an adult. Your curiosity makes you a modern day polymath. You're one of the most intelligent people. Like I'm obsessed with intelligence and I'm obsessed with curiosity and I'm obsessed with the brain and I have a total brain crush on you. I have for, for some time. Thank you. That's like the biggest compliment ever. Three things without too much thought or judgment that have brought you joy so far today. Oh, I took my dog for a ride in the car and went to my local coffee shop and I picked tomatoes from the garden this morning. That was pretty cool. Wild to have a garden now. Yeah. How do you define optimism? Mm, I define optimism much differently than I used to. You know, I used to be a little bit on that like proclaimed t-shirt slogan life. Like I really kind of prided myself on how hard I was willing to work and the all-nighters I was willing to pull and the thing. And I realized it was really toxic. I was buying into the culture of the hyper-privileged who make their money on the backs of people who overwork and undersleep and the list goes on. And I had to figure out how I was sort of subjecting myself to that kind of culture under the guise of positivity, under, under the often encouraged for women in our societies, guise of being nice and polite and pleasant to be around, you know, all of those right. things. And so I think now when I think about optimism, I think about it being the choice to seek hope, the willingness to identify whatever light there is, despite how much darkness, the commitment to the justice of joy, because yes. joy is right. Pursuing it, holding it, finding it, making space for it, that is a big part of justice work. And so for me, optimism, when you can find or create justice and joy, that to me, you know, feels like a world worth being optimistic about. Yeah, absolutely. And in the position that you're in and everything that I know, because you, you are so wonderful and transparent at putting it out there of what you're passionate about, what motivates you to sort of feel all the feelings and get fired up and be upset, but then take it to that next level and be like, okay, I see this. And I also see that I need to buckle up and start doing something in order to like make a change. I can't help but see it. It's the only way I know how to be in the world. You know, I, I don't watch a lot of shows everyone watches, but I read all of the news. And I say that just to clarify that it's not like I expect everyone to do this. I, I certainly wish people would read more than, you know, just headlines. I think that that can become kind of dangerous to us. I have to then, in knowing that I quite literally can't exist in another way in, in my sort of right. body and brain, then I have to figure out 
how to do anything with it. Because to your point, it can become very paralyzing. I am exhausted. I'm exhausted right now. I don't quite know how to catch back up. So the only thing I know how to do is when I am met with an injustice, an issue, I have to learn as much as I can about it. And then I have to figure out what are the action steps? Where are the petitions? Who do we call? Who do we email? How do we rally? I have learned to get really clear with people and say, look, it wouldn't be okay with me if this was happening to me or my family. It's not okay with me if it happens to that person over there and her family. And it wouldn't be okay with me if it happened to you and your family either. And that is universally true regardless of ideology, belief, political party. And I think when we can come back to those truths, we can remind people, we can kind of shake the dust off of this ever more polarized world we're living in. And I know that I have the ability to do that. I know that I have the privilege of a platform. And so I have to do something with it. And, you know, maybe I'm not going to convince everybody, but even if I can convince a few, it feels worth it to me. And so when I feel overwhelmed, coming back to those sort of core principles is what reminds me that we have to keep going. And to be frank, we, you know, we've never had a moment in the United States like this where, where our, our very republic itself is under attack in the way that it is. What we have had is even more divided times and, and worse times for us as citizens. We, we did live through an era where there were no vaccines and people were dying of polio and other preventable illnesses. Right. We, we did live through a time where women were more subjugated than they are now. We are still subjugated, oppressed. There's all sorts of insidious things happening. But we stand on their shoulders for the progress that we have. And we have to maintain the line and continue pressing because eventually our daughters will stand on our shoulders. So I make no mistake about knowing how much progress was one to get us here and about acknowledging that we can't give up because there are generations coming after us. Absolutely. And so that's the, the motivation. You, first of all, say what you believe and you believe to be true and you say it so unwaveringly, even in the face of, you know, people, maybe, you know, online trolls down to like bullying down to like even an, an opposite end that like maybe it's costing you jobs mm-hmm. in the acting world because the, people might think you're too political or too... Yeah polarizing. And I don't know if that's even true. I'm just guessing. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that what I really admire about you is, first of all, I admire anyone that is standing standing true for what they believe in and fighting for it. But then further for you, I feel like you don't say things unless you have like the evidence and research and you've done the work to back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly important to do so. You know, we, we just saw a real crisis of a breakdown in science communication happen. When the CDC published the, you know, their, their research on COVID deaths and said that between 6 and 9% of COVID deaths um, were caused 
in people who had no other comorbidity, no other health issue. It was just COVID that caused them to die. And there were a bunch of QAnon conspiracy theorists and a bunch of people who unfortunately don't understand what the terminology around comorbidities mean, um, multiple ailments or illnesses mean, because we have been defunding education and in particular science education in this country for so long, which is a travesty. And it's happened because scientific research is standing up against some of the greatest abuses of the natural world. Um, and when that was unequivocally proven in the 60s and 70s, the, the very well-funded organizations that were launched by those uh, polluter industries knew what to chip away at. So we have to acknowledge that this has been you know, done to us. And I was so frustrated. I was, I was on the phone. Um, my girlfriend, Jessica Malati Rivera, is an epidemiologist. She has her PhD in emerging infectious diseases. She is one of the doctors running the COVID tracking project. She is an incredible science mind. I reshared a lot of information from her trying to explain to people that that doesn't mean that only 6% of 183,000 people have died of COVID. What it means is that so many of those people had asthma or hypertension or a tendency to clot or anything else, which most folks have. Most of us have some sort of health issue. And then those- health, I do. Yeah, I do too. I have asthma. I'm incredibly susceptible to upper respiratory infections. And this is what's so incredibly important for people to understand is that of the people who died of COVID complications with comorbidities, COVID made their manageable health issues fatal. So mm. someone who would have easily beaten pneumonia couldn't because they had COVID. Someone right. whose high blood pressure was under control died of cardiac arrest because of COVID. These are unequivocal truths, and you see people trying to translate them to mean this isn't as bad as everyone's saying it is, and that's simply not true. This is an unbelievably strange time because we have, we've made a lot of progress historically in the country, not enough, but a lot. We've never tried to make progress while battling disinformation like this and a pandemic psychologically speaking, you know, the way that the brain works is you hold on to something, a core belief that you have, even if it's based on absolutely mm -hmm. nothing factual, mm -hmm. but it's something you have and you go out of your way to seek out bits of evidence to make what you think truer. It, it works in our favor sometimes and other times it, it is awful and it's something we have to check within ourselves, but so many people are not actually aware or willing to do that type of self-work. Mm -hmm. And so you hear that, you hear something like that yeah. and you completely take what you want to take from a study yeah. without doing the further research and without bothering to check in with a doctor and you go viral with and it. And I think that's why, you know, that's a specific example to speak to the point that you made. I'm very aware that being able to speak to millions of people a day is a privilege and a responsibility. And so I have a duty to do the research. I have a duty to make sure that what I'm saying is factual. I have a duty to get to the bottom of things. When I read the article, I thought, okay, so 
this is bad that they're saying that you know six to ten percent of all these deaths existed in people who didn't have any comorbidities. I mean, are there even that that many healthy people in the world these days who don't have right. a single other issue? Right. You know, this is incredibly fatal. And I called Jessica to make sure that what I was reading, I was reading correctly. And she said, you're reading it correctly. Have you seen? And she ran me through all the data and then started showing me some of the disinformation. And the disinformation was going viral. And I get it. We are desperate for hope right now. We want to know that this is going to end. We want to go back to work. I want to go back to work too. I want to go back to work so badly. But yeah, we are literally in the middle of a deadly outbreak of a novel disease. And... And to see people, including the president of the United States, spreading patently false and disproven misinformation, it's, it's very scary. And I think what a lot of people, to your point, don't understand or even are aware of that there's approximately 133 million Americans that have a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And so you can't just chuck that aside. That's huge. That's like what, like more than 40% of the population. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's huge. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, the responsibility and of sort of feeling like the responsibility of being accurate, but also, um, the, the choice that you've made, which we all thank you so much for to use your platform to, to actually talk about real topics Mm -hmm. and things that need to be changed. Um, Have you, what kinds of backlash have you experienced? I have at least one person a day who wants to come into my comments and say, I've lost all respect for you. And my, my, and that's just what I see, but my, my response has become simply if, if my wanting my neighbors to live means I lose your respect, it wasn't respect I wanted anyway. So thanks. Right. Um, you don't have to be here. Uh, right. For me, again, it, it, it truly feels like duty. And it is wild. It's wild to lose work. It's, uh, it's wild to, to really have... Um, taken many years of, you know, financial losses to show up because women do want, or because people do want women to be nice and palatable and middle of the road. And I refuse to do that. I am not, I am not here to be, um, subservient and to, to be silent in the face of oppression. That's the language of the oppressor. I I have obviously been let down when, um, you know, (laughs) when just before finalizing, you know, a contract to do a very wonderful, like big brand deal that I was very excited about, uh, in the 11th hour, I got a phone call from my team, um, almost laughing, quite shocked. Uh, obviously none of us were, were happy about the loss we were going to take, but they said, well, they've pulled your campaign. Uh, apparently someone at the company's decided that you violated their morality clause 
because you use the word pussy on Instagram. And I said, wow, I was quoting the president of the United States. You know, yes. So, so uh, to have, to have the uh, support and ability to fail up like an older rich white guy, right? I thought to myself, so this man is allowed to openly admit that he sexually assaults women and grabs them by their genitalia. But my quoting him and, and right. responding that this is unacceptable means I can't... You're reprimanded. I can't represent yeah. a brand because I'm apparently immoral. Okay. Wow. Um, and that was a huge... I mean, that was a huge financial loss for me. But I sent an email to my team and I said, please pass this along to, I won't say who the brand is. Uh, and I wrote, you know, dear whom it may concern at brand X. Uh, I hear that I've violated your morality clause. I, I want to be very clear about my morals and I would like to say thank you for showing me who you are and please keep your blood money. I will never work for you or any brand under your umbrella as long as I live again, have a great day. And you know, that's not a popular stance and that's not what people want you to do. And, and when you work in an industry where sometimes you're making money and sometimes you're not making any money at all and you have to, you know, plan and be smart. And, and the irony being that everyone in the public thinks that um, if you can pay your bills being an entertainer, that you, that everyone is like as rich as JLo. I'm like, I mean, I wish, right. but also <laughs> she's a triple threat and amazing. Did you see the Super Bowl? Hello. Um, we right, can't, we right. can't all be JLo. And, you know, so, so there's this sort of assumption of, um, of privilege and like endless resources. And, and when you're, when you're, work is, it is at times, uh, denied to you because you refuse to be quiet in the face of injustice. Um, it's, yeah, it's strange. You know, lots of people think I, I get a lot of messages from people that say like, how much are they paying you? And you all just do this for the money. Like, you're an activist for the money. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, if only you knew. Yeah. But, I don't want to be quiet and agreeable and what sell stuff for, right. for what you want to be who you are and mm -hmm. you only know how to be who you are is what I, what I gather, which I think is something that should be respected and celebrated. Again, that's the course correction for me. When, when that space feels a bit dark, I have to go, this does not deserve my energy. Like this troll or this person or this threat, this does not deserve my time. There are people who deserve it and, and, and those folks are not it. Right. I really want to jump into work in progress. That's your podcast yeah. and it's incredible. Thank you. Oprah was like, you should have a show that you interviewed the Clintons and they were both like, you need to run for office, which I think is awesome. And obviously you should. That's so kind. And I love that when I hear you talk about it, it's based on this idea that you can be a masterpiece and at the very same time yeah. be a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And kind of along those lines, I'd love to ask you, this might make you feel weird because it makes many people feel weird, but it's a really important question. What do you love about yourself? 
Hmm. I love my empathy. It's it's hard. It's hard to really care, and and it has meant <laughs> I've I've occasionally invested a lot of energy in the wrong people, you know, wrong friendships, wrong relationships. But more often than not, it has brought me to a deeper understanding of people. It has brought me deep friendships and relationships. It's a thing that I know the world needs more of. And so I, I'm grateful to my little self for not knowing how to be other than being empathetic. You know, empathy is, is actually a muscle. And it's something that we all possess. And some of us have a greater access to it than others, but we can all work on it and we all should. I get it though. I mean, and it is, it can be so hard. And I I know that it's a thing I need to work on. I know that I need to work on how to not let my life get sidetracked while I'm doing work out in the world. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here on zoom with you and, and just the other day I wanted to know, like, I knew I was really behind. (laughs) I owe a lot of people, you know, returned text messages. I can't keep up with like the texts, the emails, the DMS, the tweets, the Instagrams, that it's, it's a lot. And I turned all my notifications back on, on my computer just to see where I'm at. And I have 4,162 emails in my inbox I have 438 unanswered text messages. I have five alerts on my calendar. I have two missed FaceTime calls and three alerts on my photos. I don't even know what that means. I'm like, are there, are there <laughs> albums I haven't have subscribed to? <laughs> yeah, like friends have, are, are apparently trying to like get a hold of me that way. There's a lot of that that I won't get to, but I won't miss the news. And yeah. that... That's something I need, I need to look at too. You know, that's something I need to right. address. That's something I need to, to work on. How not to always put my life and my health behind the way I show up for other people. And I, and I don't have the answer to that yet. Everyone's like, or for yourself. Your, you know, what's your self-care? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's something I need to work on though. I know that that's such a great step in the right direction of self-care is to be transparent and open about that. Mm -hmm. So much of optimism is about working through struggle Mm -hmm. and resiliency. And I think it is often misunderstood. And and a lot of times people think optimism is just about being positive, Mm -hmm. but actually it's about resiliency and it's about curiosity of how you grow through less than ideal situations. And personally in your life, what has been the biggest struggle or challenging or darkest period of time or moment for you? (laughs) And how have you worked through it or are you continuing to work through it? I mean, I've, I've had many, you know, I went through a deeply intense betrayal in my early twenties that was very public And that was a hideous experience. I wasn't allowed to do that the way most people who go through it do it, which is, you know, at home with their friends and closest community. I I had to do it out in the world, you know, barely having been a a professional adult for long. Right. And I was meant to sort of navigate it. And I look back and I, I realized some of the 
the ways I spoke about it and the answers that I gave and the, the, the kindness that I showed, which was actually really a, a turning my back on myself because I thought, well, but I have to take care of everyone else's feelings in this situation. It didn't actually deserve that. It, it deserved right. more kind of frankness than I gave it, but I really wanted to make sure I was protecting everyone else. You wanted to smooth everything over. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I made my own reality a martyr in a way, <laughs> or a casualty rather, I should say, which, you know, looking back, I can understand again, societal pressures for, for women and niceness. I think about, you know, going through a devastating loss of someone very important to me that, that just rocked me, you know? And, and I think it's, it's why when I see people, you know, going through loss, it hits me as hard as it does. It really just puts me back in that place. That began a process for me, which was slower than I would have liked, but you only learn lessons when you learn them, of really starting to get honest about what I needed and deserved versus what I was expected to do for other people. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it, it began a process of kind of unlearning that was very important for me. And, you know, quitting a job did the same. Actors don't quit jobs. It's like not a thing that happens. And I, it's, it's like hard enough to get a steady job. You don't leave it when you have it. Yeah. But I just couldn't do it in the environment I was doing it in for one more day. And when I got really clear on, on the gaslighting and the abuse that I was experiencing at work, I just, it took me a long time to get as clear about it and to be as honest about it and to spell it out. But when I did, I realized how I'd been pretzeling myself and bending over backwards and, and trying again to like smooth over the situation and make it work and, and, you know, stand up for myself, of course, and do the reporting and do the things I needed to do. But, but, but in a way that would make sure that everyone else wasn't too uncomfortable. It must've been, and it is continuously probably a process to learn how to be an advocate and an activist for yourself, because Mm -hmm. it seems like it's so you do that. You do it for so many other people, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's so tough to, yeah. to do that for your own self. And, mm-hmm. and quitting that job sort of serves as, I don't know, I, I just hearing it, like, I'm so proud of you because it sounds like you were advocating for yourself. Yeah. And that's the Sophia Bush that would go through hell and back to advocate for someone else that was going through abuse mm-hmm. or not being heard or was being treated poorly and like you needed you needed Sophia Bush <laughs> and you gave it to her mm-hmm. which i think is pretty incredible and such a huge i don't know maybe the biggest accolade in life for yourself to mm-hmm. to be able to give give some of you to your own self and i think that's tough that's tough for a lot of us but you deserve it yeah that's really kind of you to say thank you it it's hard it's hard for all of us And I think when we can get, you know, more honest about it, 
and more frank about it with each other, we, we make it a little easier for other people. We make it easier for ourselves the next time. That, that feels like a big part of what we're here to do. Yeah. Going back to work in progress, why did you start work in progress? And what do you love about it? How's it going? What's hard about it? I think for me, deep conversation is my favorite thing to do learning, introspection, discovery, an avenue for curiosity, that, that's what I'm magnetized to. And the communities I've been able to be a part of, you know, the groups of friends that we share and, and the incredible activists I've been able to advocate alongside of and, you know, the leaders who, who I've been able to sort of serve and support it finally, when enough people tell you, you know, you need to do something, you're like, oh, okay. And and for years, people had said start a podcast. And I was like, who cares? <laughs> Who's going to care? And then I, I sort of had this realization where I thought, you know, that's a way to spend my privilege. Not everyone's privy to the conversations that, that I am lucky enough to be having. And what if I could offer people a window into a deep dive with Gloria Steinem? What if I can bring, you know, clear science communication into the living rooms of millions of people? What if, and the list goes on, you know? And yeah. so it really, to me, felt like a way to honor my curiosity and also to spend my privilege to pay it forward. And very rarely does something fill you so much and give to others. And, and it, felt just like the greatest way to do it. What I love about podcasts now, having sort of starting one, first of all, I appreciate it is so much work. It's a lot of work. (laughs) But what I love about it is I'm super passionate about health and wellness, obviously, but more so what I'm really passionate about is inclusive wellness and accessible health and kind of these things that I think are human rights and Mm -hmm. points of knowledge. And I think something like a podcast is such a great medium because it can reach so many people from all different places and is more accessible than a lot of other things. And so I think it's such an amazing way. And I think work in progress is so, so great because I am definitely one of those people like so many that I always, I would love to have you know, be a little bird, um, you know, or a fly on the wall of these conversations that you're having. Like, uh, I like, absolutely count me in. And so I, I love your podcast and I'm so glad that you finally took the plunge to do it. Cause I feel like it has been coming, but I wanted, I, I had no idea that you got into acting accidentally kind of, but like not accidentally, but you were actually like in high school and you were forced to do a play Yep. and actually you were pissed because it took you away from what you were really wanting to do, which was play volleyball. Yeah. What play was it? And like, what, play, who did, oh gosh, what so, character okay. did you play? My school had the junior high and high school. I went to a really amazing, you know, all girls prep, like just excellent, excellent environment for learning. Had a requirement. It was middle school actually where every semester of middle school, seventh and eighth grade, you had to take a different art sort of specialty. I left theater for the end 
one of my best friends from high school who I'm still really close to was like a total theater kid. And I, I just, I like thought that that was her thing. And so I put the play off and then it was spring of eighth grade. And I thought, well, I'm going to play sports. So obviously I'll get out of it and do a play. I can do something else. I'll take ceramics again or whatever. And that didn't work. And uh, I had to, I had to do a show. We did Our Town. So yeah, we did this play and I loved it. I loved the technicality of it. I loved learning about everything, the music and the lighting and the props. And, And then through high school, I was doing more and more shows uh, sometimes I would tech the shows. I loved being the property master on plays. Oh my God, it was my favorite thing. And still to this day on any show or movie, I'm the prop person's favorite actor because I'm, <laughs> I'm nuts about the specificity with like props, continuity, knowing where everything is. Yeah, I, all, all of those things have really, have really lasted. I made the decision to not go to medical school <laughs> and that was a shock to my parents for sure. Sorry, mom and dad. But it strangely and wonderfully led here. And, and this, this feels like the right place to be. Absolutely. A random like tidbit, but I go to Wilmington a lot. And I know that's, is that Yay. where you guys, you filmed One Tree Hill there, yeah. right? My, my husband's from Wilmington. Oh and my so he grew gosh. up there. And I'm pretty sure he was there like while filming was happening and stuff. But I think you guys are like one of the big, the big show that came out of Wilmington. So yeah. he, I have this, sort of, I would have never known what Wilmington was if I hadn't married a man from Wilmington, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty great place. That's so cool. Yeah. We, um, yeah. Dawson's Creek was there for six years. Oh, Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Yeah. And we were there for nine years. Uh, we keep laughing. I mean, you have to find humor in these moments. Otherwise, what are we doing? But my, my coworkers and I in advocating for the removal of Confederate monuments from Wilmington, Yes. We just said, guys, y'all who are really passionate about the, con- the Confederacy have been sold a marketing campaign. And the marketing campaign actually started in 1911 because of the daughters of the Confederacy. It was, it was quite literally um, a very racist PR campaign that, that was launched by a bunch of socialites. So know your facts. And, and when people say, well, it's our history and it's this, that, and the other... The Confederacy lasted for four and a half years. One Tree Hill was literally on yeah. for twice as long as the Confederacy yeah. existed. So that's more history. Yeah. If you, yes. you want to have, you know, you, they should replace the monuments uh-huh. with One Tree Hill monuments. <laughs> you should have I, a big statue in Wilmington. Honestly, some of our fans have said that. And I've, I, I'm like, sure, whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, nine years. We, we, have a, we have a very long legacy there. And it, it's such a beautiful place. such a special town. Yeah. I grew up in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. my husband's family, they're from New York, but he's half Jewish. And he was shared with me so many experiences of yeah. being the only Jewish person. And then when he moved to New York, he was so confused. Or when he'd visit his family in New York, he'd look at the phone book and he'd be like, Silverman. Oh my gosh, there's pages and pages. Like I'm so confused. And where he was in Wilmington, he was the, they were the only ones. And he definitely, he played sports there and, and, you know, had some pretty horrible experiences with that. I remember how surreal it felt also for me to move there from LA and, you know, half my family's Jewish. And so 
being able to go to temple, being able to go to the deli, like all of the things that I was so used to for my life, I got there and I was looking for a good deli. Yeah. And I remember somebody being like, oh yeah, you, you know, you can get a sub at Jersey Mike's. And yeah. I was like, no, like a, de- like a deli, like a deli, not, yeah. a, not a sandwich shop. And, and nobody knew what I was talking about. And I, uh, in this moment, I'm like, I wish I'd known your husband and his family. We could have celebrated because it was such a, it was a wild thing to, to just realize to your point, when there is an absence of something, someone, culture, people, it creates a vacuum and yes. anything can fill it. Totally. Any, any stereotype or prejudice that people may not even be intentionally carrying, you know, and it's hard to be on the receiving end of something that breeds in a, in a vacuum. Absolutely. And by the way, nuts, totally nuts, but my husband is half Italian and half Jewish. Well, he's like, he's like half, his half Italian (laughs) is also like kind of Irish, Irish, Italian, Catholic, half his mom and his dad was, um, his dad, unfortunately passed away. His dad was Jewish. Mm. So you guys are, are a similar, a similar makeup. (laughs) Yeah. That's so fun. It's like we, it's just all food and all family and all high volume all the time. Yes. Well, and then you mix in for him. He married into an Indian family, a North Indian family. And we are all those things you just said. So a lot of food, loud, high volume, boisterous, lots of music. And again, a lot of food. (laughs) So what's looking up for you? What are you most hopeful about? What are Mm. you working on or not working on right now? Yeah, that's so kind. Thank you. I'm very worried about voter suppression, but I'm hopeful about the election. You know, I I sort of feel like our nation is the Titanic right now heading for an iceberg and we've got better technology than they did and, and we can turn and avoid it and get back on course. And I think it's incredibly important to also remind people that, you know, the silos that the internet in particular can create that make us feel like we've got to have exactly what we want or we don't want it are not good for us. That's sort of the antithesis of our duty as citizens, as a cohort. We've got to get in lockstep with each other. And even, even if someone's not your perfect candidate or didn't pass your purity test, like get on board, let's fix the country. I'm very hopeful because of my friend, Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, who's an incredible climate scientist, talking about how, you know, uh, Biden and Harris's climate plan is incredibly impressive to her. On board, I'm like, there we go, needed, needed that, wanted that. I am hopeful because Kamala Harris is our vice presidential nominee. I am, I am hopeful that we have begun truly peeling a justice onion in this country and we're not going to stop. I am, I'm hopeful because of us, because of people who are willing to use whatever influence they have, whatever platform they have, whether it's five or 5 million people and stand up for each other. Those, those things all make me feel really hopeful. The last thing that we do on looking up is we get to, well, if we were together, you would, but since uh, we're not (laughs) and we're doing this virtually, we pick a card from my things are looking up optimism deck of cards. And 
I don't even know if I have sent you one, but I need to send you one. It's a deck of cards and each of the 52 cards have a holistic or science-based prompt or suggestion that actually increases optimism and resiliency and joy. And yes, we can all utilize that right now. But also when I was, I was watching one of your lives and you were doing a live with, um, a young woman from 4-H and you guys were doing like an affirmation jar. Um, I'm going to yeah, send like you, a, I'm going to send you one of these, but I'm going to send you two of these because I want you to send her one. I feel like oh, I would she love would to. love this deck. And so I want her to have yes. one. So I'm going to send you two so that you can send one to her too. Okay. I'm going to pick a card at random for you. Okay. And this is your homework for today. Allow yourself in this moment to let go of any heavy burden from your past that you carry around mm-hmm. with you. It's freeing. Try it. Don't be scared. You can bring it all back whenever you want to. Try to challenge yourself to let go for just a few seconds. Take a moment to note how it makes you feel to let go. Go on, unburden yourself, and feel the relief. That, that's your card for today. <laughs> Take some time Beautiful. if you can to do that. And thank you so much for catching up with me and thank for you. having this conversation and taking the time out of your incredibly busy life and to just speak so transparently and with such rawness. I think that that's certainly what we all need and, and for sharing the things that bring you joy, but also some of your struggles. I think for me, like one of the most important things to get across with the looking up podcast and everything that I hope and choose to do with my own platform and work is to bring mental health to the spotlight and to just have normal conversations candidly about our emotions and normalize feeling the full range of emotions. And so I really admire you for your courage and thank you for always sharing your experience. It's so powerful. You have a powerful voice and you use it. You use it so well. Thank you. And I appreciate it. That really means a lot. And likewise, just so much. Thank you for all the positivity that you put out in the world and the way you encourage people. Thank you. Thanks, honey. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Sade by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.